Hi, Katie. Welcome, everyone, to Have You Ever Heard Of? A History Podcast. Where we talk about people from history you may or may, may, may not have heard of. <laughs> Welcome to our <laughs> Christmas episode. By the time you're listening to this, it will be Christmas week. And only a few days until Christmas, so happy Christmas everyone, or happy holidays for whatever you are celebrating. I totally lost track of where we were, date-wise. <laughs> yeah, well, we, we were right, so, yeah. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Well, Dan's recording from his mum's house right now, because he's already gone to, went there before the tea are changed, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, had to, I had to flee London before it went into tier three. Um, whereas my family are in London, so it doesn't make any difference whether or not. <laughs> is that right? Um, I, f- I fled to Essex, where m- most of Essex is in tier three now, except for the place I'm from in Essex. Which is not. I have that actually. I like saw a map and I was like, "That's weird." My family um, are in Enfield, which is apparently the highest in London. Really, just everyone's <laughs> yeah. got it. Just so I'm fleeing to the highest. Just having um, a COVID but... party down there, just flinging it around, just licking everyone else's faces. <laughs> gleefully coughing at each other maybe it's because Spurs have been doing so well in the Premier League that everyone's just doing a lot of shouting and cheering yeah. maybe that's it having little Too underground cheering. football parties just cheering well, we lost to Liverpool so maybe we'll... <laughs> yeah. that's what people maybe do we'll go down. football isn't it <laughs> to be fair though that could actually legitimately be a reason because they've started having 2,000 people in the stadiums now Really? For, oh, yeah, go. football stadiums. And they did have a game at Warhol Lane a couple of weeks ago, so maybe a lot of people have been shouting and, and you know, COVIDing everywhere. And I saw, like, a shot from the Liverpool game this week of um, the crowd. Yeah. And they just... Masks were all over the place. And um, <laughs> people were standing really close together. Like, they have a whole stadium, like Anfield. The Liverpool stadium's huge. And they had one bay of people. And I was like, you could literally spread them out and they would have like 20 seats around them. So is and that how people celebrate now? They just throw their masks in the air. Way! Way! <laughs> My grandparents are getting the vaccination on Sunday. Ooh. Ooh. That's exciting. That's is exciting. It, is the vaccination exciting? I'm going to go with the air. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's not like exciting like <laughs> you know exciting it's more like it's comforting to yeah. know that they are gonna be somewhat protected what is exciting though fewer and fewer things have become exciting as i've uh, as i've got older like just before like going on stage that's exciting I mean, it's changed it's evolved i remember the first it's time like i ever played a gig first time i ever did a gig i just wished that the fire alarm would go off so we wouldn't have to play the gig but it wouldn't be our fault that we didn't play the gig no, I fucking love it. But. Yeah, I mean, the first time you do anything like that is is scary. Mm. I uh, I think different things are exciting now, like, you know, getting like that new book that you're waiting for or being able to lie in for an extended period of time. <laughs> but it will be, things will get exciting again. That is the one thing about COVID is that the first time that we meet up and go for a drink yeah. and get drunk together in a pub and we don't have to worry about like any of those city restrictions or the first time that I go like the film festival next year if it's on properly like and I don't have to sit like apart from two seats apart from Paul anymore yeah. in the cinema or anything like that is it's 
going to be exciting again or getting on a plane. Life is just going to be exciting be like, ah. again. So I think that maybe this is not actually real and people are like, Do you know what? We need to make life exciting again. Let's have a year off and then everything will be exciting <laughs> from now on. I have real problems with wearing a mask and that I, I, I wear it all the time. Don't worry. But I just, because of the glasses, I wear glasses, everyone, if you didn't know. I, I just can't... Some people manage to, like, balance them on the top and they're all fine, but mine just steam up every single second and I cannot... <laughs> I think it's because I've got a really small nose and it doesn't... Like, I can't get the mask up and the glasses on. Okay. Yeah, and they're just, like... Yeah, just... It's a whole situation that's going on in my face. So I'm going to be so excited when I don't have to wear one anymore, just so I don't have the stupid glasses problem anymore. I think I'm just going to carry on wearing mine, just around. Just around, make you look it's cool. Like some kind of, yeah. It's like a, like a Mad Max character at all times. Yeah, that is the one advantage. <laughs> so, uh, what is your favourite bit of Christmas, usually? On a normal Christmas. I mean, like, food. Yeah, Standard. food and drink. Yeah. Seeing my brother since he lives in Hong Kong, but that's not happening this year. Your fit brother. Oh yeah, what a shame. <laughs> yeah, I love seeing my family. Usually there's 18 of us this year. There will only be five of us. So, But we are going to like relocate our Christmas to like spring next year. So we're going to have like a fake Christmas when it all gets back to normal. You're going to get out the Christmas tree and everything just to do it all. I think we actually will because that's Ooh. how weird my family are. <laughs> <laughs> like the, the amount of weird stuff that we get up to and it is also uh, winter solstice soon so y- the day that you're listening to this listeners will be the day after winter solstice I think mm. so that's pretty exciting oh no it might be the day of yeah the day of winter solstice the shortest day yeah so I hope you all had a nice day <laughs> uh, when are you finishing work Christmas Eve or no, I've got a yeah, I've got a week off starting next week, twenty work first, and then I've got to go Fabulous. back. Like the week after, I didn't get the two weeks I I requested. The week is is better than nothing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't complain. It's fine. It's all good. I get two weeks, so you can't complain. <laughs> <laughs> Mother. Um, should we start? Yes, sir. So, <laughs> you've heard of this person, and, and you know who I'm doing this week. So this is a nice Christmassy one, kind of Christmassy. We've got this Christmas um, overload. <laughs> have you heard of St. Nicholas of Myra? I have. And all his okay. other guises, his other names, <laughs> all the other things. All the other names. Including thing. the controversial Dutch one. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to talk about him as like the same, like his life and stuff, and then we'll move on to like celebrations and iconography. Sweet. So obviously the preface to this is accounts of St. Nicholas's life agree on the essence of his story, but modern historians disagree on regarding how much of that story is rooted in actual historical fact. So obviously he lived in this kind of turbulent Roman time because he was born in the late 200s. So um, that's like a really difficult time for history because a lot of stuff is lost or has been retold in this really like way where you're like, okay, I don't know if this is actually true. So let's take everything that we hear with a pinch of salt <laughs> and just enjoy the Christmasiness. <laughs> 
though some of these stories are really not Christmassy. I'm really sorry. I'm going to have to put an explicit on this one. Like I do on most of them. Okay. <laughs> so he was born, I can't say, on 15th of March, 270. So it's weird that we have like a specific day. Yeah, that like is... Like the 15th of March, yeah. but there you go. Um, he was born in the city of... Um, Patara, which is a port in the Mediterranean Sea in Asia Minor, which would have been in the Roman Empire. Um, and th- he had like a wealthy Greek family, and they were Christians, obviously. Ah. So, very much not like alpine Christmas tree land. <laughs> no. Very no. far from that. Nice and warm. and, and... <laughs> So, really, we should be decorating palm trees. I mean, you still can. That's time. <laughs> Okay, so according to some accounts, his parents were named Epiphaeus and Johanna, but according to others, they were named um, Theopanthus and Nora. Good name. Uh, not Nora, sorry. Nonna. Oh, okay. Still pretty um, good. Okay, so in some accounts, Nicholas's uncle was the bishop of the city of Myra, and um, recognising his nephew's calling, Nicholas's uncle obtained him, ordained him as a priest. So that's how he got into the priesthood. So, the first story I'm going to tell is the story of the gold coins, which is probably the one that most people know. But if you don't, this is is one where you're like, oh, this is where the gold, like, you get all the Christmas gold coins, you know, the chocolate gold coins. And this might be where it comes from. (laughs) So, after his parents passed away, Nicholas is said to have distributed their wealth to the poor. In his most famous story, Nicholas heard of a devout man who had once been wealthy but had lost all his money due to the plotting and envy of Satan, of course. He was always going to turn up, wasn't he? Also an anagram of Santa, coincidence. (sighs) Uh, The man could not afford proper dowries for his three daughters, which means they would probably remain unmarried and probably turn to prostitution. Um, Hearing of this plight, Nicholas decided to help them, but he knew that the man was going to be too modest to take any money from him and that it would be like humiliating for him to accept the charity. So he went to the house under the cover of darkness and threw a purse filled with gold coins through an open window in the house. The father immediately arranged a marriage for his daughter and after the wedding, Nicholas threw a second bag of gold coins through the window and he arranged a daughter of a second daughter. So Wait, then, so he just basically gave him dowries? Yeah. <laughs> This is weird. <laughs> this is taking I a mean, weird turn. <laughs> yeah. So then, according to the account of like the guy who was the famous like first biography of St. Nicholas, I'll talk about that later. The After the second one, the man waited up at night and he caught St. Nicholas in the act of um, throwing the gold coins into the window. So the father fell on his knees, thanking him, and Nicholas ordered him not to tell anyone about the gifts. The scene of Nicholas's secret gift-giving is one of the most popular scenes in Christian devotional art, appearing at icons across most of Europe. Although depictions vary depending on time and place, Nicholas is often shown wearing a cowl, while the daughters are typically shown in bed dressed in their nightclothes. Oh boy. <laughs> this sounds dark. This is taking a dark turn. Historical accuracy of this incident is pretty disputed. Different accounts tell different versions of the fates of the daughters, especially. So we don't know which one is most true, but I think this is like the the most popular, famous story of his charity, and this might be where the gold coins thing comes from. Mm-hmm. And we'll see that that develops 
as like time goes on. So some of his other stories as well. Um, in another story, he is said to have visited the Holy Land, um, and, and he was on a ship that was hit by a terrible storm on the way, but he, like, told the waves to, like, calm down, <laughs> and the storm, like, subsided, and because of this miracle, Nicholas became um, venerated as the patron scene of sailors. Oh, right. So Christmas yep. and fishermen <laughs> share the same... Well... It's not the patron saint. He's not the patron saint of Christmas. There's no such thing. <laughs> um, well, basically, okay. he is. That's essentially what he is. And I'm guessing fishermen <laughs> probably have their own ones. It's probably like literally, specifically, just sailors. No, I, I think it's like. It well, I think later on, I can't remember. It might be sailors and fishermen, and also travellers. I think. But um, there's a bit ah. I talk about that. So <laughs> after this, um, he returned to Myra. Um, and he became the bishop. So the bishop who had succeeded his uncle, who had been the bishop, had recently died. And basically, the priest in the city said the first priest to enter the church that morning would be made the bishop. And like, so... Like some kind of lucky buyers like competition. Hundreds like, customer wins a million. Exactly. A it's free... pretty much exactly like that. Supermarket dash. Um... God, I want to do a supermarket dash. <laughs> Only if Ryland Clark is there, though. I want him to be the narrator of my supermarket dash. Yeah, so basically he went to pray that morning and he became bishop. Just please say they like had like ticker tape and glitter and they were like, woo, little band, da, 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 playing him in. <laughs> And he's like, yeah, Stuck the bishop out on him. Woo! But he only walks in a diagonal. He's, he's a bishop. Um, <laughs> Oh, that's bad. <laughs> so the, he is also said to have been imprisoned and tortured during this like great persecution of the emperor um, Diocletian, which was around the um, 284 to 305, but was released under the orders of Emperor Constantine the Great, which is um, 306 to 337. That's nice. This He's is pretty great. plausible... But it's not actually attested to in the earlier sources and therefore probably unlikely to be actually true. Oh, okay then. That's so great. So one of the earliest stories of St. Nicholas is where he saves three innocent men from execution. According to his early biographer, three innocent men were condemned to death by the governor, Eusathius. I'm going with that. As they were about to be executed, Nicholas appeared and pushed the executioner's sword to the ground, released them from their chains, and angrily chastised a juror who had accepted a bribe. Oh wow! Yeah, that seems like that's pretty. That's pretty ballsy. Just yeah, uh, getting. I guess if he was the sword. bishop, maybe he was like oh, yeah. well revered. I don't know. Also, now for some reason, whenever I hear, hear the word governor, I just instantly think of Arnie. Just always. He is the governor of every state. <laughs> He's not even the governor anymore. I know, but it's just, that's annoying. Like, I mean, obviously, like, I come across like governors like constantly in history, but now, just still, it's just annoying. It's annoying, if anything. I do love Arnie, but I don't want him to just be governor in my head of everywhere. It, there's a great Dylan Moran sketch where he talks about Arnie and he says, I lifted the heavy thing, and then I lift the heavy thing over and over again. And the people of California said, you're a man. <laughs> There's another version of the story in which one of the consuls accepts a bribe to put three innocent men to death, and St. Nicholas appears to Constantine in their in his dream, informing 
um, Constantine of the truth and basically like getting him to 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 free the oh, okay. um, generals. So so even though he was alive, so <clears throat> this wasn't like a beyond the grave like dream invasion. This was just him invading a dream from like down the road. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he was literally down there. He could have just woken him <laughs> yeah. up, but he just couldn't be bothered to get out of bed. That's so what he did, just... isn't he? He just like hid, like, he just stood at the end of his bed and just kind of like made the it's lighting a, a bit weird and went, I am a dream. Uh, <laughs> I do that all the time. <laughs> So according to later versions, they become like more elaborate and they like start weaving all their like stories together. So in one version, um, Constantine sent three of his most trusted generals to put down a, rebe- a rebellion in Pythagora, I think is how you pronounce it, but a storm forced him to take refuge in Myra, which is where obviously our man is. You would have thought he would traveled more as like... <laughs> Santa well, Claus, well, you let's know. get to that. Um, unbeknownst to the generals who were in the harbour, their soldiers further inland were fighting with local merchants and engaging in looting and destruction. Nicholas confronted the generals for allowing their soldiers to misbehave and the generals um, bought an end to the looting. Immediately after the soldiers had returned to their ships, Nicholas heard word of the three innocent men who were about to be executed and the three generals aided him in stopping the execution. So this is a more like elaborate version oh, okay, of this then. story. It just seems to be going around like chastising people a lot. I'm just imagining him just wagging his finger a lot. Yeah, basically. Uh, so afterwards, basically the generals succeeded in ending the rebellion and they were promoted by Constantine to an even higher status. So yeah. That's just a more, yeah, elaborate one. They also, like, there's those three generals and then imprisoned, and then Nicholas appeared in, like, another dream to a different guy (laughs) who, like, freed them. He's just, like, dosing people, isn't he, on, like, magic mushrooms. (laughs) That's what he's doing. Yeah, that's the Clever man. Those are the real Christmas brothers. (laughs) He was engaging in Psywar before Psywar was popular. So basically, there's a basic story where he helps the innocent men. There you go. <laughs> okay, so there's this thing called the Council of um, Nicaea, which was in... It's the first council was in 325. And apparently he is said to have um, attended that council. He is said to have been a staunch opponent of Arianism and devoted supporter of Trinitarianism. And one of the bishops who signed the Nicaea Creed. So basically, um, this attendance is like well debated whether or not he was actually there. So okay. like, some there's an actual list that exists, or at least existed, in which he was listed as the 151st attendee. Um, however, somebody else had a list in which he wasn't on it. <laughs> and then, okay. like somebody else had another list, and he went, like it was just all, a whole bunch. Of, he like, may or may not have been. May a guest. Ha- may not have been there. According to one of his modern biographers, there are two possibilities: either he did attend, and he was left off the second list for some reason, or he didn't attend, but he was put on the list because just in ho- in hope that he'd go. Yeah, he was invited, but he couldn't be asked. Or somebody decided to remove his name from a list. Apparently decided this better if no one remembered that he had been there. Oh, so, did like, he really it... make that much of a scene? 
<laughs> he made such a scene. <laughs> One of the reasons that he could have been left off the list because is apparently he slapped someone across the face. <laughs> he did this... make a scene. <laughs> yeah, because um, but this was only attended and like said in the 14th century like just like a thousand years later than he actually lived so this isn't true but i really want it to be true so badly that i'm just gonna say it's fact he's making a scene because he didn't believe in this whole like aryan thing that he signed uh, the credians um and he slapped a certain aryan quote across the face so but yeah i wouldn't put too much historical weight on this later later thing in the yeah. honestly. I mean like the picture I've got is just him really drunk singing it's my party and I'll cry if I want to and then just slapping someone which I just don't think is very historically accurate oh. but I like it I like the image the name of the guy he slapped is, is Arius so I think it's ah. him is the actual guy yeah he slapped the guy's whose birthday party it was no wonder it's not on the list it wasn't a birthday party it was like a type of party <laughs> I love that we just made it a birthday party. <laughs> okay, let's talk about some other miracles. Because to be like ordained a saint, you have to have performed a miracle. So cool. obviously the miracle, one of them was the um, the, the ships thing. That's why he was the patron saint of sailors. But I think there's some other things. So uh, one story tells of there was a terrible famine and a malicious butcher lured three little children into his house. Oh, boy. Where he killed them, placing their remains in a barrel to cure, planning to sell them off as ham. Nicholas visited the region to care for the hungry, saw through the butcher's lies, and resurrected the pickled children by making the sign of the cross. Yes, he did. He He resurrected the pickled children. He made pickled zombie children. Yes. <laughs> Jeez. So he's also the patron saint of zombie films. Well, though this story seems bizarre to modern modern audiences, it was tremendously popular throughout the late Middle Ages and early modern period and widely beloved by ordinary folk. It is depicted in stained glass windows, wooden panellings uh, and tapestries, which I, is a tapestry I want to see. Yeah, I'm all over um, this tapestry. So let me know if you've got one. Um, eventually, the scene became so widely reproduced that rather than showing the whole scene, artists became merely to basically pre- like depict him and three children and like a wooden barrel at his feet. And these depictions led some people to call him the patron saint of children. Um, uh... Which I don't think he is the patron saint of children. I think it's just like sailors. But I think you can be the patron saint of like a whole bunch of things. Yeah, I think so... like, yeah. Whoever yeah. adopts you, basically, right? Yeah, exactly. So I think, he, like, some people would still say he's the patron saint of, like, children too. Like, St. George is, like, the patron saint of, like, loads of places and things. Like, England and, like, Georgia or something in, like, uh, Russia. Who cares about... He's such a boring one. Um, yeah. Anyone can slay a dragon. Anyone. So, during another story, another great famine, which was between um, 311 and 312, a ship was in the port at anchor, which had, like, basically all this wheat for the Emperor Con- Constantinople. Constantine and Istanbul and Constantinople. Nicholas invited the sailors to unload part of the wheat um, to help people in need. But the sailors were like... I'm not sure about this because this is supposed to be for Constantinople and we have to like weigh it properly on both ends, otherwise we're gonna get in trouble. But then Nicholas like promised them that they would not suffer for their loss, um, and they eventually agreed. But when they later arrived at the capital, they made a surprising find. When they weighed it, the weight had not changed. 
Although that we had been removed in Myra, there was enough for two full years and could even be used for sewing. So that's another one of his miracles. He's a magic man. He is. So this is so interesting, this part. So there's a whole load of talk and chat, talk and chat, about his bones, which I think is really interesting. Um, so basically, it was long traditionally assumed that St Nicholas was originally buried in his hometown of Myra, where his where his relics are later have known to be kept. But some recent archaeological evidence indicates that St Nicholas may have been originally entombed in a rock-cut church in the highest point of the small Turkish island of Jamil, only 20 miles away from his actual birthplace in Patara. So his actual name was even painted on the side of the ruined building. So okay. it could have actually been there that he was um, buried. In the mid-600s, um, Jamil was vulnerable to attack by these Arab fleets, so Nicholas's remains appeared to have been moved to the island of Myra, where Nicholas had served as a bishop. So it wasn't that he was originally buried there, he was buried back home and then moved, maybe. Okay. But oh, I, mean, I wasn't there. So. <laughs> um, it is said that in Myra, the relics of St. Nicholas, each year they exude this like watery liquid, which smells like rose water, called manna or myrrh, which is believed by the faithful to possess miraculous powers. So from his bones, this like silvery liquid would come out. Wait. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Wait. I know. I'm looking at Dad's <laughs> face, and he's like, "Wait, what?" <laughs> So um, they, what do they do with this water that? I don't know. Is being, just, I guess being filtered has through his bones. Miraculous powers. Maybe they put it on like crop, or maybe they use it to like heal. I don't know. Because yeah, that's that's where I was, that's where I thought this was going. Like they're rubbing, yeah. they're rubbing, rubbing like <laughs> rose corpse, water, corpse, corpse juices on Ooh. on them, just on oh, themselves. It's, it's bone juices by now. It's been four hundred years. Okay. Yeah. Um, marrow. Well, by now, tasty it's marrow like, juice. Nothing. Dried marriages. Whatever. Something on um, his So eyes. we also have Russia making some claims, obviously. So um, they've got this like solemn bronze statue of um, St. Nicholas um, by sculptor Gregory Potoski. Um, and it was donated to the Russian government in 2000. It was given a prominent place in the square fronting the medieval church of St. Nicholas. Then in 2005, the mayor of that particular like place had the statue replaced by a red-suited plastic Santa statue because he wanted it to be more recognisable to foreign visitors. But protests from the Russian government against this was, was successful and the bronze statue was returned to the church. So I like that. Well done, everyone. <laughs> okay, so the church of um, San Nicolo... Alido in Venice claims to hold roughly 500 brain fragments of Nicholas's skeleton. I don't actually have any information on how it got there. Maybe I just skipped that bit out. But with which scientific excavations have confirmed are atomically compatible with the bones that were in the like Basilica di San Nicola in Bari, which is where they were before. Okay. Um, in December 2009, the Turkish government announced they would be formally requesting the return of St. Nicholas's skeletal remains to Turkey from the Italian government. Turkish, Turkish authorities said that, that St. Nicholas himself desired to be buried in 
his town where he was, like where he was bishop. Mm-hmm. Um, and his remains were illegally removed from his homeland. Oh, basically, boy. yeah. Basically, in 2017, an archaeological survey at St. Nicholas's Church was reported to have found a temple below the modern church with excavation work to be done that would allow researchers to, to determine whether it still holds St. Nicholas's body. So it's like, did someone illegally remove it? Did they not? And then in May 2017, following talks between Pope Francis and the Russian Orthodox um, patriarch Kirill, a portion of the relics of St. Nicholas in Bari uh, sent on loan to Moscow. That's bizarre, isn't it? Just sending a bit of someone's remains, just part of someone's body. Yeah, you can yes, have that. so weird. Have that. Just hold on top of it. Can I have a lend? <laughs> have, a, <laughs> have a femur. <laughs> so the relic was on display um, in the Christ of the Saviour Cathedral before it was taken to St. Petersburg in mid-June and then returned to Bari. More than a million people lined up in Moscow for, for a momentary glimpse of the gilded ark holding one of the saints' ribs. Lovely. Lovely. Lovely, Lovely stuff. So yeah, the Church of San Nicolo Alado in Venice claims to hold roughly 500 bone fragments of St. Nicholas's skeleton, which scientific examinations have confirmed are atomically compatible with the bones of the Basilica in Mari. So maybe they did so, steal them? <laughs> so different places are just competing over how much of his body they have. Yes, exactly. Like this is why it's so guys, interesting. So. I mean, I'm like, you've got a rib, but... 500. I've got 500 fragments. <laughs> I've got a finger. <laughs> oh my god, like the woman who um, I did some research work for the History Channel and it's called, in this program called Hunting Hitler which by the way is a bit of a terrible program. Um, I really enjoyed working <laughs> on it. Jamie Thinkston, right? <laughs> There's this one Top woman who thought that she had Hitler's femur okay. in like All right. Brazil. <laughs> She's like, I've got Hitler's femur. And I was like, mate, you don't have Hitler's femur. <laughs> I'm just going to go out there and say that you literally don't have Hitler's femur. And she was um, happy about this? She was like, look, it's Hitler's femur. And, and all, even the presenters were like, sure, love. <laughs> um, How did she get it? Like, Well, because they're trying to say that like, Hitler oh, wait, escaped. Actually, what is she doing to... with a human femur? Also, if that's not that's Hitler's femur, you've got somebody else's femur, yeah. which is just... Even stranger. Not even stranger. <laughs> equally a stranger. So, there's been a lot of scientific analysis done to try and confirm which and which bones are not St. Nicholas's. For example, in 2017, two researchers from the good old Oxford University, Professor Tom Higham and Dr. Georges Kazan, they radiocarbon dated a fragment of a pelvis, which was claimed to have been St. Nicholas's. <laughs> Um, the fragment came from a church in Lyon, France, at the time of the testing. It was in possession of Father Dennis O'Neill, a priest from St. Martha of Bethany Church in Illinois. So what apparently everyone has a bit of St. Nicholas. Just like, this is just weird. <laughs> um, the results of the radiocarbon dating confirm that the pelvis dates to the 4th century AD, around the same time that St. Nicholas would have died. And it's not a radial forgery, um, because a lot of... The claims have just been like medieval forgeries. Apparently, this bone was one of the oldest the Oxford team had ever examined. But obviously, with the absence of DNA testing, however, it's impossible to know whether or not the pelvis is from Good yeah. Old Nick. It's just someone who died in the same century as him. Yeah, it could be any medieval <laughs> person, especially as like it was in France and then in Illinois. Like, we don't even know if he went to France. 
it makes so much more sense to me that he would be in like Myra, right? Where he yeah. was the bishop. It makes so much by the way, that is we were talking about Turkey, and um, that's in modern day Turkey, just to clear that up. Yeah. I mean like isn't it is it in some way sacrilegious to like break up someone's body? Like isn't that like what you do to traitors? Like you like you hang your core to them and send their different different parts of their bodies to like different like they the can't four corners get into, of like, the country or something. Without yeah. like a body that's all yeah. together or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I guess maybe if you're a saint there's something to do with your bones being like holy or something. But you'd think yeah. that, that he needs all his anyway, I hope for Nick's sake that his bones are not all over the world. Some bizarre yeah, reason. Take, like warrior bishops would take like relics into battle, wouldn't they? Just like people's saints like bones as part of like a banner or something. Weird. <laughs> Weird. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's talk about celebrations. So among the Greeks and Italians, he is a favourite for sailors, fishermen, ships and sailing, like we said. As a result, over time, he has become the patron saint of several cities which maintain harbours. In centuries of Greek folklore, Nicholas was seen as the lord of the sea, often described by modern Greek scholars as a kind of Christianised version of Poseidon. Ah. In modern Greece, he is still easily among the most recognisable saints, and the 6th of December finds many cities celebrating their patron saint. Ah, makes sense. Because they yeah. love just kind of like pasting like a new avatar over like an existing... <laughs> yeah. you are now this you are now Poseidon <laughs> um, in the Eastern Orthodox Church St Nicholas's memory is celebrated on almost every Thursday of the year together with the apostles yeah. which, uh, with special hymns to him which are found in a special book known as the Octo Echoes it sounds like a Pokemon um, <laughs> it does <laughs> in Oriental Orth orthodoxy the coptic church is that, is that how you pronounce it coptic yeah, yeah, church sounds, sounds yeah, right. observes the departure of saint nicholas on the 10th of um Kiahik, which corresponds to the julian calendar 6th of december and the georgian calendar's 19th of december okay so we've got that annoying thing again which happens every time we do one of these <laughs> pre pre fifteen hundreds episode. Um, so Nicholas had a reputation for his secret gift giving, as we have talked about with the gold coins. He also said to have put uh, coins in the shoes of those who had like left out for him. Like they'd left shoes out, and then he would put a coin in each shoe, and then you come and back and get your coin. They'd walk, and they'd be like, hence, "There's something on my shoe." Hence stocking. Oh my god! It all makes sense with the stockings. <laughs> Ah. Oh, it makes so much sense. Okay, this was on his feast day, which is the 6th of December. Um, for those who still observe the Julian calendar, the celebration currently takes place 13 days later, which would be the 19th of December. In Monaco, the Cathedral of Our Lady Immaculate, which was built in 1874 on the site of St. Nicholas's Church, which was founded on... 1252. Children's masses are still held there on the 6th of December. So in the late medieval England, England, <laughs> on St. Nicholas's Day, uh, parishes held um, little boy bishop celebrations. Basically, little boys, obviously, would take the roles of priests and bishops um, and like, pretend to be them, which is quite okay. neat. Um, 
Today, St. Nicholas is still celebrated as a great gift giver in several Western European and Central European countries. According to one story, in medieval times, nuns used to, on the night of 6th of December, deposit baskets of food and cloves anonymously at the doorsteps of the needy. In other stories, on the 6th of December, every sailor or ex-sailor of the Low Countries would descend to the harbour towns to participate in church celebrations for their patron's sake. One... On the way back, they would stop at one of the various Nicholas fairs to buy some hard-to-come-by goods, gifts for their loved ones, and invariably some little presents for their children. While the real gifts would only be presented at Christmas, their little presents for the children were given right away courtesy of St. Nicholas. This and Mm -hmm. his miracle of him resurrecting the three butchered children made St. Nicholas patron of children as well as later students as well. Okay. Santa Claus evolved from Dutch traditions regarding St. Nicholas, or Sinterklaas. When the Dutch established a new colony in New Amsterdam, they brought the legend and traditions of Sinterklaas with them. Then, during the early decades of the 19th century, all that changed thanks to a series of poems and writers who strove to make Christmas a family celebration by reviving and remaking St. Nicholas. As an example, Washington Irving's 1809 book... Um, Kickerbocker's History of New York first portrayed a pipe-snooking Nicholas soaring over the rooftops in a flying wagon delivering presents to good girls and boys and switches to bad ones. Ah, I was about to ask, where did the fly? (laughs) Since he was like the patron saint of the ocean, I was like, surely he'd just be like sailing around. Sailing around. That would be a long journey. Yeah. And also, I mean, like you'd only be able to go to coastal towns, which would be... Yeah. Unfortunate for the vast majority of the human race. <laughs> Very unfortunate. <laughs> Everyone would move to a coastal town. Um, in 1821, an anonymous poem entitled The Children's Friend went much further in shaping the modern Santa and associating him with Christmas. Here we finally have the appearance of Santa Claus. He takes the magical gift bringing of St. Nicholas stripped him of all his religious characteristics and dressed him in his like Santa clothes with the furs and red and stuff you know made him like jolly and finally the jolly chubby grandfatherly face of the, of the Santa that we all know was largely created by a man called Thomas Nast who was a great political cartoonist in the 19th century and after all this happened in America it then transferred back to Europe and spread Mm. So that is the story of how St. Nicholas became Santa Claus and then Santa Claus. Where does uh, Coca-Cola come into it? I thought they had a I think originally he was like, well, there's a story of how he was green and then he was made red by Coca-Cola. But I don't think that is true because in the pictures I've seen of St. Nicholas, he is mm-hmm. wearing like a red coat with like white trimmings. And yeah, I think okay, they then. took that picture. So I think that might be myth. And they've just it's just yeah. Coca-Cola has just kind of... Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's just myth. But, you know, they do use him and abuse him. They do. They love that, don't they? Okay, so let's get back to a bit of history sources. So I won't like go deep into the sources, but I will talk about some of them. So the earliest complete account of Nicholas's life um, that has survived, I must say, because I'm sure there was more, is um, A Life of St. Nicholas written in the early 9th century by Michael the Arch- Archimandrite. Yeah. Mm. 
Um, this is nearly 500 years after Nicholas's probable death. Despite being extremely late, um, the life of St. Nicholas is believed to heavily rely on older written sources and oral traditions because they would have been written in like Pyrus or like old parchment, which would have had to have been recreated and recreated and recreated because okay, yeah. they didn't like last as long. Mm-hmm. So this one, even though it's like really old, no, even though it's like really late on, it's believed to have be pretty like accurate to what we know. Um, the identity and reliability of these sources is pretty unknown the original sources he used because we don't have them so we can't say anything about them so uh catholic historian dl khan and medievalist um charles w jones both consider this um biography to be the only account of saint nicholas that's likely to contain any historical truth (laughs) basically another guy called jonah lettering who's a dutch historian says that um michael darchamandrite's life um, basically doesn't contain a conversion narrative, which is unusual for saints' lives during this period, which yeah. makes it sound more reliable because, like, if it was a falsification, they would, in- they would include a conversion narrative, which it doesn't, so makes it look more reliable. As I said, like, this is during a turbulent time in Roman history, which means that we've lost so much from that time um, like I said, it was written on Pyrus or Parchment and it would have been copied and stuff would have been lost. And um, The earliest mentions of St. Nicholas indicate that by at least the 6th century, his cult was pretty well established. Less than 200 years after his probable death, the Eastern Emperor um, Theodosius II ordered the building of the Church of St. Nicholas in Myra, um, which thereby preserves an early mention of his name. So this is like 200 years after he was born, but still, it's pretty good. Uh, <laughs> uh, Byzantian historian also mentions him in the 500. Yeah, there's more mentions of him in different councils of Nikia, which we mentioned earlier. A single offhand mention of, of Nicholas of Myra also occurs in a biography of another saint, St. Nicholas of Sion, who apparently took the name Nicholas to honour him. So that's like a different thing. Yeah, so the life of St. Nicholas of Sion, which was written 250 years after Mira's death, um, briefly mentions that Nicholas of Sion visited Nicholas's tomb to pay homage to him. Yeah, so there's also mentions of him um, around in history, which is a good sign. And I'd like to think he did really exist. I think he probably did. I think this is one of the ones where it's not like he's a myth. Hmm. It's just like... Obviously, I don't believe in miracles. So <laughs> yeah, that's what I was about to get onto. Like, there's obviously got to be like an explanation for each of them, but like, yeah, I mean, like for like, for instance, like the extra grain and stuff. Like, he probably just bought some more grain <laughs> and just put it in the pile and went, ah, oh, we have enough grain. I think one of the things is because his family were well off and then they yeah, died and left exactly. him all the money. He had the yeah. money to like be generous. So really, yeah. Saint Nicholas wasn't performing miracles. He was just being like a good guy. Yeah. Which and then just nice. not taking credit for it. It's being like, yeah. oh, I mean, there just seems to be some grain. But really, he's like, I bought the grain. I feel pretty good about that. I bought that grain. <laughs> yeah, he's just being around <laughs> being like, I'm a saint. Yeah. <laughs> so he's like the patron saint of sailors and fishermen and maybe children and so- like a load of cities in Greece, which is cool. Nice. 
And I guess maybe the patron saint of Myra too, if that if they have their own saint. So he's pretty popular. People like him. He did a yeah. good job. Well done. Got that grain. Good guy. And now he's a Santa Top Claus lake. as well. And now he is Santa Claus. <laughs> Santa Claus. <laughs> I prefer that. I think it's good. And uh, when I was learning German, we did learn to sing some like Christmas songs in German. And they sound a lot better in German. Yeah, singing in German is does sound surprisingly nice, actually. Surprisingly. Surprisingly. It's a harsh language. I mean, like, obviously, opera, it works. Like, it works. Like, for opera, quite nicely. Works very well for metal music. That's not surprising, actually. No, I mean, not metal at all. <laughs> and, like, classical are quite similar in, way, in certain ways. Do, you, um, do they celebrate Christmas in Hong Kong? Um, I mean, kind of. Yeah. Probably not to like the same degree. I mean, like it was a British colony for so long. So um, yeah, that's true. There's quite a few like Christians and stuff there. Um, and but yeah, not. But like, yeah, and it's just yeah, just as like a commercial festival, really. Yeah, let's just have another day off. Exactly. Yeah, I think it's what I'm pretty sure it's a, an official holiday. But it probably is like in pretty much every country. Yeah, it isn't in Japan. They like there's like um, loads of like Christmas decorations everywhere, but people don't actually get the day off. They yeah. eat KFC. Oh, yeah, I've heard this. Mm-hmm. I've heard this. Yeah, the Christmas KFC. It's a tradition. <laughs> uh, well, happy Christmas, everyone. Thanks for listening this whole year. You've stuck yeah. with, if you've stuck with us since January, you are an absolute doll. Uh, remember to subscribe wherever you're listening to this. We will be back in two weeks. Yeah, we're taking um, a break for taking Christmas because we're lazy. Christmas and New Year break, <laughs> um, and we will have more people that you may or may not have heard of in January. And thank you for the one thousand listens. Yeah, I mean, once I had tweeted that, it was actually one thousand one hundred. So thank you Ooh, for the one thousand. Wow, that's quite a jump. I know four figures, baby. <laughs> um, and hopefully next year will be even more. Oh, follow us on Twitter oh, and yeah. Instagram and all that. Stuff. Yeah. Twitter and Instagram. Uh, have you ever pod? <laughs> <laughs> and bye. Bye.